I'd like to invite you this morning to turn with me in the book of Romans. We'll consider Romans beginning in chapter 12, the first two verses, our New Year's meditation this year on the altar. This year on the altar from Romans chapter 12, we're just going to look at the first two verses of Romans 12, which can be found on page 1126 of your pew Bibles. The Apostle Paul begins with these words, beginning in Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here ends the reading of God's Word this morning. May we receive it with a believing heart. Beloved congregation, you have probably noticed that the word Christian is used quite loosely in our day. There are many people who would consider themselves Christians simply because they live in the United States. We'd say that this is a Christian country, therefore everyone who is born here must be Christians. Uh, Many people claim they are in Christ because their parents are Christians or because they were baptized maybe at one point in their lives, though they may not believe much about the person of Jesus Christ. And then there are some who even respect Jesus. They may even go to church and read their Bible but they do not trust Jesus. You see that there are many people, many uh, peoples in our congregation, or excuse me, our world, I should say, in our culture, who would claim to be Christians. But the Bible says that to be a Christian is to believe in Christ and to follow Christ. Put another way, To be a Christian means to embrace Christ not just as Savior, but also to embrace Christ as Lord. See, as we consider this morning what God has for us in the new year of 2024, Paul draws our attention to a powerful Old Testament example, that of laying a sacrifice upon the altar. And in the ancient world, when a The people of God brought a sacrifice to the altar. They were to give the whole sacrifice. All of it, 100% to God, holding nothing back, completely yielded, give it to God. And so Paul says here, you are the sacrifice now. God is calling you to put your life on the altar to put yourself, all of you, all that you have and all that you are, to live for God. Over these last few months as we've been going through the book of Romans, we've been on a journey with Paul. Commonly called the Romans Road. You ever heard that language? The Romans Road? And on this journey, Paul has shown us our need for salvation, 
He has shown us how God has provided for salvation. And now we focus on the results of salvation. How we live our lives. Along this road, there have been sign posts. Road signs, if you will. And the first sign post, if you have a Bible, says guilt. In Romans 3, verse 23, if you have a Bible, turn there with me. This is the first signpost on the journey with Paul when he says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That is, in character and conduct, all humans are displeasing to God and nobody stands innocent with Him. But that's not the end of the road. As we continue on our journey with Paul through the book of Romans, we see the second sign post road sign, but this one says grace. In chapter 6, verse 23, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all we have to do to pass that checkpoint is Romans 10, verse 9, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And what does Paul say? You will be saved. But as we're entering this new year, Where does that leave the redeemed sinner today? See, there are many people who treat it like this is the end of the road. That the essence of the Christian life is simply that Jesus saves, I've got my ticket to heaven, and now I can do whatever I want. I can live my life free from sin and death and hell. But there is a third signpost, says Paul. And this sign says gratitude. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is not the end of the road with Paul in the book of Romans. We still have four more chapters. And what we learn from the rest of this book is that it truly matters to God how we live our Christian lives. God's grace is not a free pass for us to live however we want. Instead, Paul teaches that because of His grace, we can now live in a manner that is pleasing to God. He is not simply concerned with your justification, but He is also concerned with your sanctification. That you would be conformed to the image of His Son. And that's our theme for our time together this morning. Sanctification is God's mercy in freeing us from the power of sin. We've been freed from the penalty. We know that from the first half of Romans. But God also frees us from the power of sin by His Word. I want to show you this in three points this morning. A living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, and a radically different sacrifice. This is what we're called to in our Christian faith. A living, a holy, and a radically different sacrifice. Let's look first at a living sacrifice. The first thing you need to notice here is that with the doxology at the end of Romans 11 and the nature of the opening verses of chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is now changing the focus of his 
exposition. Boys and girls, exposition means explanation or His teaching. He has dealt with man's guilt. You remember in Romans 1.18 all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, the focus of this epistle was man's guilt before God. And now He has magnified God's grace. Chapters 3, verse 21 through chapter 11 is all about what Jesus has done for you. But the rest of this book, He is now focusing on the response that God's grace should elicit in the believer, and that is gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Notice even the first word in chapter 12. Therefore. Now boys and girls, every time we see that word, therefore, we need to be asking the question, what is it therefore? It's not just a filler word. In fact, some preachers even say this is one of the most important words of the whole Bible because it is a marker of a writer connecting two separate themes together. This is a connecting word. And what is Paul pulling together and connecting for you and me? Therefore, brothers, he says, by the mercies of God. And beloved, the mercies of God is a beautiful way of summarizing the Gospel. That's what the mercies of God means. The Gospel. Everything Paul has said so far, Romans 1.16 all the way to chapter 3, verses 36. Everything we've been talking about these last few months regarding our salvation, our justification, our sanctification, the assurance of the Holy Spirit, our whole salvation can be summed up in the mercy of God. God. That we were guilty. We deserved punishment. And God had every right and the power to punish us, but instead He gave us His Son. That's the first thing. He's connecting the Gospel. Therefore, well, what's the second thing He is connecting it to? Look at verse 1. He is connecting the Gospel to you. I appeal to to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, Paul is not calling you just to believe in Christ. He is calling you to follow Christ. And this should be evident from the Bible that anytime someone comes into contact with Jesus, that it should change them. You remember John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. She, by happenstance seemingly, comes into contact with the Lord Jesus. He tells her that He has living water, that He can save her soul. She meets the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament in Christ. And He says to her, go and sin no more. It should change her. What about the rich young ruler in Matthew 19? comes into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ and His indicative, His command to him is sell all that you have and give it to the poor. See, this is what Paul is doing in Romans. Chapters 1-11 through are about instruction. Chapters 12-16 through are about application. We are moving from doctrine 
to duty, from learning to living, from instructing the mind to now your heart, your hands, your feet, and your eyes. We are moving from justification to sanctification. When the elders asked me, Pastor, can you preach something for New Year's Day? And I began to pray. Father, what is Your will for Your people this year? What is the message that needs to be brought to their attention at the beginning of the year? Providentially, we were at Romans 12. You see, God has brought us as a congregation through so much in these last few years. We have survived a pandemic. There's more political turmoil and upheaval in our country maybe than ever before. He has restored to us many great things. And He has loved us in Christ and He has evidenced His love day after day, year after year. But now we should be clear that His will for us, having been loved by Christ, is that we pursue sanctification. But you need to know, at the beginning of this year, or maybe even at the beginning of your Christian life, that sanctification requires all that you have and all that you are. See, the Apostle Paul draws upon a rich Old Testament theme, which is the sacrificial language. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You remember in the first five books of the Bible, specifically Leviticus, people were bringing sacrifices to God. And this was a very sacred thing. A family would bring an animal to a priest in the manner that God prescribed. And the priest would then slay that animal and he would drain its blood and he would sprinkle it upon the altar. And he would lay it on top. It would be totally consecrated to God. Totally yielded to Him. But this sentence is so shocking. Because Paul doesn't say bring an animal sacrifice, does he? He says present your bodies. He says take your own life and put it on the altar. Take you and place it upon the place of sacrifice and be totally consecrated to Him. Be totally given to Jesus. Be totally given to God. Hold nothing back for yourself. Give everything to the God who has saved you. Paul in Christ calls you to the altar today. But there's a major difference between the Old Testament sacrifices and the New Testament sacrifices. You see, in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were dead. They died there. Their lifeblood poured out. But in the New Testament, Paul says the sacrifice of God is living. In the Old Testament, the altar of God took life, but in the New Testament, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the altar of God gives life. I think a verse to help us understand this is Romans 6. If you have your Bible, turn back to Romans 6, verse 13. Romans 6, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says this, 
Chapter 6, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought, look, listen to this, from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is what God is calling us to in the altar. That is a living sacrifice. We are offered as a sacrifice to God for the purpose of being raised to a new life. Let's be clear here. God does not want human sacrifice. Nor does He want an animal on the altar of Trinity United Reformed Church. But that all that you have and that all that you are should be given to all that He is. Be totally given to Him. Be completely yielded. To hold nothing back. That is what it means to be a living sacrifice. You know, my friends, too many people today want a Gospel without application. We're okay with a Savior without being, without being Lord. A Romans without gratitude. But let it be known this morning in this church that if you want to take seriously the Lord Jesus Christ, it involves a radical change in your life. Not only a change of your religion or of your Sunday, but of a whole of what you are. Kuiper, Abraham Kuiper puts it this way, there's not one square inch of the whole human existence that Christ does not declare mine. And Paul says if we're going to be the sacrifice of God, we have to be wholly consecrated to Him. Every square inch from top to bottom. That's what present your bodies means. In reference to the whole man, Every inch, every ounce of who you are ought to be given to Him. Your brain, beloved. What you think. How you understand. What you believe needs to be given to God. Your eyes, beloved. What you look at. What you see. What your worldview is. Is to be placed upon the altar. Your ears. What you listen to. What you allow to come into your mind. Your mouth. What you say. What you speak. Your hands. What you're engaged in and do. Your feet. Where you go. And where you travel. All of you is included. When Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. One final word of application. When something is living, when something is breathing, it implies permanence. It's a daily. It is a constant. It is an everyday action of giving yourselves wholly to God. All that you are and all that you have presented to Him on the altar. That's a living sacrifice. But Paul goes on, he adds another word here. That we are to be a holy sacrifice. And I want to focus for 
a moment on just that one word, holy. Verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holiness is a much neglected topic in our day and age. Because the Bible speaks at length about holiness. The writer of Hebrews says, Be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Zechariah, we just considered, coming through the Advent season, says that Jesus was made incarnate. He was born of the Virgin Mary for this purpose. To enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness. Paul himself says in Ephesians 4, verse 24, you were created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The Bible has a lot to say about holiness, but what is holiness practically? See, many men in the Bible have gone to great lengths to be holy and never attain it. J.C. Ryle points out, holiness is not knowledge. Balaam had knowledge. Holiness is not a great profession of faith. Judas Iscariot had that. Holiness is not doing great things. Herod had that. Holiness is not zeal for certain matters. Jehu had that. Holiness is not morality. The rich young ruler had that. Holiness is not listening to sermons and enjoying them. The Jews had that. Holiness is not keeping company with godly people. Joab, Gehazi, and Demas had that. None of these men were considered holy. That's not holiness. So what is holiness? The context here is important because what God is calling you to is to be a sacrifice. And you remember in the Old Testament that the sacrifices that the people of God were to bring to the temple were to be perfect. And a priest, when they brought a sacrifice, would consider, is it blind? Is it lame? Is it somehow defected? Polluted in some way? Because those sacrifices pointed to Jesus who is perfect. And so when God calls you to a life of holiness, to be a holy sacrifice, He is saying you must pattern your life after Him who is perfect. You must pattern your life after Him who is perfect. The Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has already said this. In Romans 8, verse 29, that we are to be conformed to the image of His Son, patterned after the life of Jesus. Holiness can simply be thought of like this we do what Jesus has done. We do what Jesus has done. Why are Christians to forgive? Because Jesus forgave. Why are Christians called to be unselfish? Because Christ didn't live for His own pleasure. Why do we walk in love? Because Christ loved us. We are to be humble because He made Himself of no reputation. Consider all that He was. 
faithful to His God, came to do the Father's will, denied Himself, was patient with sinners, full of love and compassion, denounced sin, rejected the praise of men, continued in prayer. He is our example. Even Peter says this in his epistle, Christ is an example that we might follow in His steps. So we are called to be like Jesus. To give everything we have, yes, but called to be like Him. And I want to say something here, lest some of you feel discouraged. See, you might hear God's call through Paul and say, well, I'm nothing like Christ. I see my sin every day. I'm a failure in the holiness department. And my word for you is welcome to the club. Something we have to recognize is that justification, Romans 3-11, through is a one-time work when God declares us to be pure in Christ and free from the penalty of sin, but sanctification is a daily, constant, progressive work. Holiness is our daily work. But we recognize this morning that it does not come to full bloom and it will not be fully fulfilled until we see Jesus face to face. Our sanctification is not perfect nor complete until we see His face and we are made like Him. And even today, if your sanctification seems so small and so infantile and so weak, it is still yet the evidence of God's saving work in you. Never despise, says Ryle, the day of small beginnings. Sanctification, even in the best of men, he says, is an imperfect work. It is something God begins and continues to do all the days of our life until the end. And one more thing I want to say on the subject of holiness. Do you know, Christian, that holiness is your greatest joy? Do you know that? Holiness is your greatest joy. What Paul is bidding us to this morning is not more misery or frustration and pain. But the call to be holy is a call to freedom. It's a call to life. It is a call to joy in Christ. Put it this way, sin can bring pleasure, but only righteousness, only holiness brings happiness. Beloved, you know that I'm a sinner too. Pastor Jacob is a sinner just like you. And I can testify this morning that I've committed many sins and not a single one of them has ever made me happy. Sins bring pleasure, but they can never make us happy. They have never added an ounce of happiness to anyone's life. Not a single sin has ever brought someone lasting joy. And as Christians, our greatest joy is to be made like Jesus. We are called to a life of virtue. We are called to a life of love of others. 
a life of sacrifice for the good of order for, of others. Holiness practically is Christ. And sanctification begins. Maybe this morning you're saying, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. I'm ready to begin. It begins simply when we say to God, I am sorry. Forgive me. When a Christian says, I am sorry, forgive, justification happens in an instant. And sanctification begins at that very moment. And know this morning that God has promised you that the moment you say those words, forgive me, He has promised to send His Spirit to live in you. And that His Holy Spirit will help you resist sin. His Holy Spirit will help you be Jesus more and more every day until you get to heaven. You do not do this work alone, my dear friends. You do this with God Almighty within and working through you. We're called to be a living sacrifice. Give ourselves wholly to God. Give our, we're called to be a holy sacrifice. To be like Jesus in all of our days. Notice finally, we're called to be a radically different sacrifice. Now is as good a time as any to mention that the Apostle Paul wants his readers to understand that in the New Testament, that we are not to submit to a system of ceremonial offerings and sacrifices. You see, in our day and age, worship flows from the heart. It flows from the mind. It flows from the Spirit. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 4. The Father is looking for people who worship Him in spirit and truth. And so our worship, the Apostle Paul goes on in verse 2, is spiritual. Spiritual worship. See, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people offered dead sacrifices for sins. But since Jesus Christ has laid down His life and died on the cross for our sins once and for all, there is no sacrifice needed. No more animal sacrifices. No more blood needs to be shed. He has died once and for all. They pointed to Him. And so spiritual worship then, it's not the bringing of animals. It's not the trying to appease God by the shedding of blood. But it is offering yourself completely to God. In the Old Testament, people made sacrifices. But today, believers are to be the sacrifice. How do we do it? Paul says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Both come from that root word formed. You notice that. Conformed and transformed. And it simply means this. Your spiritual worship is guarding your mind and being molded and shaped by the Word. See, this is the first way we're radically different from the world. Don't be conformed to this world. Conformed means molded 
to be shaped by something. The Christian who is following the pattern of Jesus ought not to be molded or shaped by the godless things of this world. This world refers to the, not the people of this world or the earth itself, but to the godless ideologies that we live within. False religion. Secular humanism. Shameful morals. Don't pattern your lives off of Satan who is the God of this world. Don't get your values from YouTube and Instagram. But get your life, get your principles from the God who has delivered us. John extrapolates on this in his epistle. Do not love the world nor the things of the world for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world is not to be the prevailing principle of the Christian's life. It is not to be what we live for. It is not to be what we love. Don't be molded or shaped or pressed into it. But Paul goes on and says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The prefix to the word formed there, trans, it means across. Beyond that, what God is calling us to by the power of the Spirit, not conform to this world, but be conformed by that which is beyond by heaven, by God and Christ. At a fundamental level, you and I cannot change ourselves. If you've ever tried to change a bad habit, break an addiction, you know how challenging that can be. So how do we transform? Well, the Gospel call is simply this. Repent of your sins. Embrace Christ by faith. Repent and look to Jesus. See, the whole idea of that word repentance is the change of mind. Forsake your sins and look to Christ. And as we replace the error's way of the the error of this world's way of thinking, we ought to replace it with God's truth. Who's the only source of perfect truth revealed in his word, the Bible. That we reject the worldview of everyone else and embrace what God has said in His Word. And beloved, this is so practical. R.C. Sproul says the renewing of the mind is nothing more and it is nothing less than the education by the Word. The Christian life is transformation through the Word. When we expose ourselves to God's Word. And see, maybe even you here this morning are wrestling with an apparent contradiction between the world view that this culture and life is giving you and the way of God. How do you resolve it? Paul says, transform your mind by the Word. Maybe you're wrestling with your kid's faith. What do we do, Lord? Transform your mind by the Word. 
struggling with sin, get in God's Word. Transformation comes by exposing ourselves to the faithful teaching of God revealed in His Word. This application is so simple. But brothers and sisters, as we come into this year, may the Word of God be the prevailing principle of your life. Expose yourself to the faithful teaching of the Word. Study your Bible. Fellowship with believers. Be in prayer. Heed God's call. Fill your mind with the truth. And Paul says, you will find yourself day by day being transformed. Conformed not to this world, but to the world to come, to heaven and God in Christ. See, sometimes we might like a pill we could take as Christians that can magically knock off our sins. We want a magic formula that we can say to get our children to behave, to deal with the uh, contradictions we feel in our mind and our hearts. But Jesus simply prayed these words for His disciples before His crucifixion. Father, sanctify them in Your truth. For Your Word is the truth. Believers, as we come into 2024, know that God is calling you not simply to believe in Christ. He's calling you to follow Christ. To live for Christ. And to be patterned and conformed into His image. But this will only ever be done by the washing of the water and the Word. My challenge for us as a congregation as we embark on this new year is let us pursue the mind of Christ. Let us value what He values. Let us despise what He despises. Let us have the same priorities as Him. Let us consider what is weighty, what He considers to be weighty. The key to being a radically changed sacrifice, the key to sanctification, is the mercy of God in Christ and the changing of our lives by the Word. And so is there anything that you're holding back from God in 2024? Is there something that God is calling you to place on the altar? But there's some resistance in your heart. I'll tell you, when I was writing this, I was convicted about my Monday mornings. Lord, I give You all of my Sunday. Let me sleep in on Monday when I normally do devotions. But I want to commit to You that we too, that all of us are called to give all of life to God, Monday mornings included. Let us pattern our life after Jesus. Let us not hold anything back. Let us place it all on the altar. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks. This Sunday morning, we're able to celebrate the new year. And that Father, you call us to a great justification, to a great work of God in Christ, what He has done for us on the cross. And now You call us, You bid us come to live for Him. We pray, Lord, that we might pattern our lives after Him. We know that the call is great, that He is so holy and we so sinful. 
but we ask, merciful God, that by the power of the Word, the work of the Holy Spirit, that we might be conformed not to this world, but that our minds might be renewed by the Word of God. Spur us on, we pray, Lord, to the reading of the Word. Spur us on to its diligent study. Spur us on to worship You morning and evening, to fellowship with believers, that we might be changed. And we pray that You would do it this year in 2024. Put to death our wickedness. Raise us up in Christ, we pray. Amen.